This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. As Chicago continues to navigate the arrival of migrants, we check in with folks helping on the front lines. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. The city is in a state of emergency over the migrant crisis. Shelters are at max capacity. People are rushing to provide health checkups, and parents are trying to enroll children in schools. Our guests today are a panel of folks working directly with asylum seekers. Evelyn Figueroa is the director of Pilsen Food Pantry. Erica Viegas is a volunteer with Southern District Police Stations. And right now, she's leading a group of volunteers at the station in Chicago Lawn on the southwest side. And Stephanie Wilding is the CEO of Community Health. Evelyn, I'll start with you. How are things at the food pantry? Things are really busy and uh we call it controlled chaos right now. We're having, um, we are standing up a shelter for 140 people just three blocks from the Pilsen Food Pantry. We've been collecting supplies since uh, September and then ran a shelter for seven weeks in January until the middle of March. And now with um, a private business owner and the support of the aldermen, we've opened an emergency respite center. Mm. We spoke to you back in the fall, Stephanie, and uh, at the time, there were just over 3,000 migrants in the city. Nearly seven months later, that number's actually grown to about 10,000. So how have things changed on your end? Yeah, so at Community Health, um, during the first wave in the late summer um, and into the fall and winter, you know, we were able to really serve a role as um uh, a partner um, to other community-based organizations to provide primary care. Um, due to how quickly um, migrants have arrived in the city of Chicago this time around, community health has had to take on a much more direct role. Um, and in fact, in less than 10 days, we stood up um, mobile care street medicine operations, which is something we have never done before. Mm where we are going into the police precincts, um, and this is in collaboration with the city's Office of Emergency Management to provide um, health assessment and screenings, as well as attending to some basic healthcare needs in the moment, um, including point of care testing, wound care, um, uh, working with local pharmacies to pick up prescriptions, et cetera. So you're, going, you're meeting them where they are, We are meeting the, the migrants where they are at the police precincts, um, we are going out a few days a week, um, and that includes going out in partnership with Lori Children's Hospital as well. Mm. And Erica, when migrants first arrived uh, last August in, in Chicago, how were you involved back then? So I wasn't involved back then. I got involved about six weeks ago when the first two families arrived at the 8th District. Okay. And as of Saturday, we had over 600 families all over uh, at every police station in the city of Chicago. 
And so we have we stepped up where we saw there was a failure from our elected officials uh, to provide hot meals, showers, basic necessities, health care, access to health care um, and just basic human care. So you, you just started this work Correct. six weeks ago. What made you want to step up? I had a police officer call me and said, hey, Erica, I know that you are always involved in the community and have always stepped up when there was a need. And so I stepped up and got plugged into the police station response team where we have over 200 volunteers now assisting all 25 police districts in the city, making sure that our families, um, you know, are seen as what they are, people, as humans, and to try to make sure that their basic necessities are met. And as you, you just told us about the work you're doing, Stephanie, the, the mobile care team working at police stations, I mean, how is it going at this time? Yeah, so um, I was able to go out with the team on Friday um, and really see firsthand, um, and there's a lot of need. Hmm. Um, you know, generally, as I'm sure Erica um, and Evelyn can speak to, um, food, basic necessities, et cetera, but from a healthcare perspective, um, we're looking at one, just in general, the the toll that stress and trauma is taking and mm-hmm. how that manifests physically. Um, I think that my observation was that folks were really grateful to have a provider to talk to. Um, there were tears. Um, we're seeing a lot of allergies, a lot of upper respiratory infections, mm-hmm. um, uncontrolled asthma, rashes, um, and dental pain as well. Mm. Um, and so the healthcare needs are significant. We were able to provide care for about 85% of the folks at the precinct we visited on Friday. Even the dental work? Um, this was just um, our mobile care, um, which does have its limitations. Right. But I am glad to share that we were able to get the vast majority of those individuals into care at one of Community Health's anchor locations this week. Wow. Evelyn, talk to us about the uh, Toto Para Todos shelter in, in Pilsen. I mean, I know the uh, there's preparation there. There's a lot of collaboration that has had to happen for all of it to come together. Yeah, Todo Para Todos is a community-led shelter that's being um, spearheaded with the aldermen, but by the uh, our 501c3, the Figueroa Family Foundation, which sponsors the Pilsen Food Pantry. I'm actually a family physician, so uh, we have, uh, we're taking care of the medical response that's there and also D1, D12, D20, and D24 as part of a subunit that is um, our uh, migrant mobile health response. We're also working with OEMC and have been for weeks um, and provided um, at least uh, 1,500 assessments in that time. Um, very similar, um, some similar complaints um, and issues having to address, and also a lot related. A lot of the transitions that folks are are also experiencing is a difference in culture mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. Venezuela and other uh, countries from which they originated, and and the United States. Bottled water is a huge thing we struggle with there because I'm um, trying to explain to them that Chicago has hard water and tastes a little different has been. Oh, uh, they're, they're not understanding why they need to drink bottled water? No, no. They're not understanding why tap water is safe. Ah. Um, and when you're when you're running a shelter and trying to use limited resources and trying to keep, for instance, bottled water for the police stations, um, it's been it's been really a journey. We've right. organized the space quite a bit, even though we came into it exactly three weeks ago today with 80 people 
Um, we have a robust volunteer schedule. It's all done through WhatsApp. We've hired a couple people with donations that have been made to the Pilsen Food Pantry to really try to bring structure and fairness um, into it. We have meals that are being provided by the community. We still organize the, the meals for D12 for the two respite uh, shelters that are around the corner that are much smaller uh, volume, a total oh, of 50 people. You're busy. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's a ride. Um, but we are trying to do our best to... Um, provide the most uh, kind and fair care that we can to people that are clearly in crisis. And Erica, even with all this collaboration that we're talking about, right, there's a lot of challenges. Yes. It sounds like there's still a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot of need, as, as Stephanie put it. I'm hearing, though, migrants staying at the police station in Chicago Lawn, they, they got kicked out or they get kicked out just to wait around for 12 hours and then get let back in? What's happening? Yes, it's happening not only in the 8th District, but other police stations, unfortunately, where um, our migrant families are being asked to um, retrieve all their personal belongings and themselves to uh, stay outside of the police station from about 8 in the morning to about 8.30 p.m. And and now it's getting a little bit warmer, which is great. But even 60 and 70 degree weather for some of our families is not that comfortable. And especially with a lot of them with children and with some of the health issues that they have with allergies, with asthma, with upper respiratory infections. I'm not a medical person, but I know because I have kids, mm-hmm. when kids and adults are sick, they need to be in comfortable and secure locations. And being outdoors is definitely not the location for them to just uh, rest their bodies. And as I mean, as a volunteer, Erica, what power do you have in those moments? I don't have uh, any power, but I do have a voice and I am one to stand up when I see an injustice. And so I am at not only the 8th District, but other police stations when I'm called upon. And I try to make my case and talk to, um, you know, police officers and and let them know that we're there to help, right? We are one group. This is a problem that we all have. It's nobody's fault. And that we as community members are trying to assist our police officers as well to make the best of the situation that we're all in. Stephanie, what do you do during those overwhelming moments? Well, you know, um, community health is a free health center. Um, so the last three years in and of themselves have been a lot. And what I have often said to myself as well as to our amazing staff and volunteers is that we have purpose right now. We know what is right and we know what we need to do to step up and step in to provide dignity to these folks um, in the midst of their crisis. And so it is that purpose that drives me. Mm-hmm. I know it drives many at Community Health. Um, and, you know, we're just going to keep stepping up and stepping in for these folks. I want to hear from all of you on this. But, you know, uh, I'm curious the moments where you feel like you're making the biggest impact. You first, Stephanie. I mean, as I mentioned, Community Health had never provided mobile care street medicine in the way that we're doing it today. Mm -hmm. Um, And the amazing team at Community Health set this up in less than 10 days. And we were deployed in less than 10 days. Um, But I think on Friday, um, when I was on the ground with the team and um, actually working with um, some of the volunteers at that precinct um, to make sure we were able to get prescription medications in the hands of people that day and seeing people delivering bottled water 
seeing people deliver food, having folks drop things off, um, having our own volunteers hold these migrants as they cried. The humanity that we are all bringing to this is what gives me hope and keeps me going. Wow. And um, I, I said this to to your counterpart, Heather, who was at the 25th District on uh, Friday. You know, these group of volunteers who are at these precincts, making sure that folks have basic human needs met, they they are restoring my faith in the midst of a really terrible situation. And I think that that is, that is a really important thing for anyone to keep in mind if you're not on the ground. Um, all of us um, have day jobs have organizations that we're running that are meeting a need today and every day. And we're stepping up above and beyond that mm -hmm. to make sure that people are taken care of. And that is a call to action. I would extend to everyone mm -hmm. in the city of Chicago, including our elected officials. Erica, just hearing Stephanie talk about uh, folks in tears, right? I, I mean, you working at the police station, you are seeing this day after day, you talked about advocating for them, yep. using your voice. When do you feel like you are making the biggest impact? In what moments? We've had so many moments that are big wins, right? We call them even though they seem like a small win. Yeah. So for the first couple of weeks, um, making phone calls to elected officials and seeing um, some of them step up, which has been amazing. Um, making the calls to uh, community members, to people that I know and say, I need your help today. And uh, I had a woman uh, two blocks away from the police station open up her home to let uh, 30 plus people shower a couple days ago after families had not showered for over two weeks. Mm. And so wow. that was a big win for us when we couldn't get showers. Um, working with Iman Health in our side of town to get uh, access to health care. Working with Sabad to provide meals, hot meals, while uh, we were waiting for some of the other nonprofits like Rincon Family Services that has stopped and New Life has stepped up in the south in southeast sides. Um, it's just the beauty of people coming together mm -hmm. in a time in need um, that is really heartwarming to me because we could all be in those shoes one day. We all need a helping hand um, at different times of our lives. And so we're doing it today for somebody in need. And one day they will be helping the next generation of people. Um, so there's been a lot of wins, but one of, like I said, one of those showers, yeah. providing, having people provide meals, running to Walgreens or some of the other pharmacies to get medication yeah. and have people say, how much money do you need uh, to provide for these families? So those are some of the big wins that we've had. People are just stepping up. Yes. What has it been looking like in your world, Evelyn? I think it's really exciting that we're having a conversation about whether or not uh, housing should be a human right. And I think that the folks that are banding together to support the new arrivals are making it clear that housing should be. And a lot of the fighting that is occurring in communities where temporary shelters are, are coming up, it's, it's bringing a much larger conversation about the chronically unsheltered people in Chicago and whether this is acceptable. If we're able to, to pull this off this quickly for us to have a shelter with 140 people that where no one, no serious accidents have occurred, knock on everything, um, where, where you can work with the community and take local resources and help us be empowered and empower other people and restore dignity and faith and humanity. Imagine what we could do with the, with the 5,000 chronically unsheltered people in Chicago, mm. the people that are sitting under our, you know, sitting on union and in the squares that need that. 
I think we need to really learn from the gains we've had in this to solve this housing crisis in Chicago for once and for all. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Earlier this month, former Mayor Lori Lightfoot issues a, a state of emergency. This is in response to the influx of migrants coming to Chicago. And we are still in the thick of it. We're talking with a panel of people who are working with the thousands of migrants coming into the city who need resources like shelter, food and health care. Uh, Erica Villegas is leading a group of volunteers working with migrants at a police station on the southwest side. Stephanie Wilding is the CEO of Community Health in Westtown. And Evelyn Figueroa is a family physician and the director of Pilsen Food Pantry. So last week, Stephanie, the, the city council delayed a vote. It was going to put $51 million toward this migrant crisis. And it looks like they're going to meet tomorrow to make that decision. I wonder what goes through your head, though, when you hear that, these delays... Yeah, I you know, I, I talked a little bit about this before, this idea that, you know, for community health, we are continuing our existing operations. We're continuing to meet a day-to-day need that that is our mission. And we're stepping up to provide um, basic health care needs in the police precincts across Chicago. And, you know, when I hear about a delay in resources flowing out, um, you know, one of the things that I would implore Anyone who has concerns about releasing those those resources to make sure that folks have some very basic needs met is to spend a day at one of the precincts, spend time with Erica, spend time with Heather in the 25th, um, go and spend the entire day and really see what the experience is like, bear witness to the, the pain, bear witness to the winds, bear witness to, you know, the joy as well. Bear witness to the humanity of it all and recognize that this is a very um, unique crisis mm-hmm. where a, a little is going to go a very long way. I can tell you that. And I, I would encourage folks who have concerns to realize that it cannot be either or right now. Um, and I recognize that's a major challenge to be issuing. Um, and if a free health center like Community Health is able to navigate that. I would encourage others to because that's the only way that we're going to get through this and get through this w- with giving these populations, these folks, these recent ar- arrivals, a warm welcome to our city that is filled with dignity. Erica, do you feel like you've gotten the support that you need from the city? I have gotten the support from um, a couple of older uh, women and uh, my reps, my, my state representative as well. Okay. But that is not enough, right? We have been asking the city now. We, um, as a group, we send out a letter to our, all of our elected council members um, about four weeks ago asking them for what we needed, which was basic health care, uh, access to showers, access to better housing, and access to hot meals, um, two or three meals a day. Um, some stepped up and helped with what they could, but um, it's not enough, right? Mm. This should not fall on the shoulders of volunteers. Um, as it was mentioned before, we all have families. We all um, have full-time jobs. We all have um, other things that we have to also worry about. Right. I would love to have a two-hour time slot where I can come in and volunteer every week or every couple of days. So we are asking, uh, you know, um, everyone that's listening to call their elected officials and ask for their assistance in passing um, the budget so that um, this doesn't just fall on volunteers anymore. Last word to you, Evelyn. What more can the city do? 
think the city can needs to continue to listen to the to the stakeholders and some of the stakeholders are paid and many of us are unpaid but very willing and and able to rise to the challenge we need more structure we need uh, we need better staffing and better coordination and we appreciate the opportunity to share our voice today Evelyn Figueroa is a family physician and director of Pilsen Food Pantry. Stephanie Wilding is the CEO of Community Health. And Erica Villegas is a a volunteer with the 8th District Police Station in Chicago Lawn on the southwest side. Thank you all so much. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The city continues to try to adapt to the growing migrant crisis in Chicago. Former Mayor Lori Lightfoot issued a state of emergency earlier this month because the city just doesn't have all the shelter, food and medical attention that the thousands of people arriving need. So nonprofit organizations and volunteers are taking things into their own hands. One group in Pilsen is working to train volunteers who are wanting to help migrants navigate the immigration system. And to learn more about that effort and best practices, we're talking with Laura Mendoza, immigration organizer with the Resurrection Project. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you for having me again. And Adi Lerner is program manager with the Resurrection Project. Thanks for joining us, Adi. Thank you. So, Laura, earlier we were talking to uh, leaders of other efforts here, working with migrants across the city. They talked about a number of challenges uh, that they've been facing for months now, still sort of the same narrative, right? Trying to get folks food and shelter, showers even. The biggest challenge for your work, what would you say? I mean, I think the biggest challenge is all the kind of fragmented uh, pieces of help that are out there. Um, you know, it, it's challenging. I mean, you heard about some of the efforts to provide um, health care and then there's like efforts to provide legal services. Mm-hmm. And and there's just different people leading those efforts. And there isn't really like a hub or a here's where we're going to go and be able to figure this out together. Um, because it has been a crisis, you know, we understand that that's the way that it had to kind of come up mm-hmm. of like everybody taking different parts. Um, but we're already taking different parts and then word of mouth possibly spreading, right? Right. The, right. Oh, this place is offering this. Go there, right? Yep. And then that place is getting much more, um, you know, demand. Um, and so, you know, we're we're months into this. So it, it is more than enough. Um, and, like, we need to come together and be able to have, like, a centralized effort. Um, and that does take a lot more of uh, the state, the city, um, you know, stepping in and really taking ownership of this and, and helping these not-for-profit organizations, these community members that are, you know, leading right now. Part of the work that you do with the Resurrection Project, I'll remind folks, it's, it's providing legal services, right, and, and advocacy with immigration, financial services, also affordable housing. Since we've got nearly 10,000 migrants in the city now since last August, I mean, talk about how things have changed for you. Have they gotten worse? Any better? I mean, the demand is obviously higher, especially as we talk about affordable housing. Um, you know, we, we need more mm-hmm. affordable housing in general um, in the in the city of Chicago. Um, so it's it's just putting more pressure on on these points that, you know, we're weak already to begin with. We did not have enough affordable housing. And so now we have, uh, you know, more people coming in um, and, and we need to figure out how to be able to house everyone. Adi, let's dive into your work with volunteers, right? The, the Resurrection mm-hmm. Project also trains um, folks who are interested in helping migrants who are focused on immigration. So you don't have to be an attorney to help with that? No, the, the trainings that we conduct now during the month of May, we already had two, and we have another one 
or another two this week okay. are for non-legal volunteers who are helping or supporting uh, the immigrants in different ways to help them navigate the immigration legal system. And it's a very narrow range or a narrow spectrum that we can work within because these are not attorneys, so there's a limit to what they can do. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are not enough attorneys. There are never going to be enough attorneys for everyone. So we want to make sure that the the volunteers who are already there and some of the people who come, you know, we have city workers coming. We have uh, folks from elected officials' offices, and we have community volunteers Mm -hmm. They're coming and they want to know what to do. They're hearing all these questions about asylum and ICE check-in and what does it mean to do a change of venue and what does this document mean? And so what we're trying to do is make sure that the folks have the background that they need and they have the tools to responsibly support the immigrants. Mm. And most importantly, we don't want to be in a position where someone is saying something that is legal advice without you know, any, um, any credit for that. So yeah. have um, you looked into having retired lawyers come help? So for the legal volunteers, we have several of our organizations that we are supporting and we are funding uh, for legal services for this population. They do things like a pro se workshop, right, where a family or an applicant will come with uh, a potential asylum application and they will then help them go through the different steps and basically the asylum seeker would leave with their asylum application ready to go. So we don't have the capacity to necessarily represent you fully, but we still want to put you in a better place, in a better position. Um, So the the folks, these non-legal volunteers Mm -hmm. that you have, walk us through the specifics, Adi. What does the training actually look like for them? Yeah. So first and foremost, you know, we give the background. How did we get here? What's going on right now? Some of, uh, some of the people who are there as uh, volunteers are already seeing what's going on on the ground. We talk about, you know, we give an overview of the immigration system. We talk about what potential reliefs people may have. So we see that most of the people who are here have a potential asylum claim. We have some people uh, that we have seen that have uh, potentially a claim for special Im- uh, immigrant juvenile status, which is for minors mm-hmm. or up until 21. And we give the very basic information about what that means. And then we talk about what can we do to support these asylum seekers or immigrants in general. So walking through, you know, sharing information in a responsible manner, information that has been vetted by attorneys, um, and we can provide that. How to do an ICE check-in, how to change your address, how to change a venue. And all these things are things that, at the end of the day, maybe they're simple, but if you fail to do it, that might in, that might have an impact in the long term of your ability to get immigration benefits. Oh yeah, immigration immigration paperwork is is so mm-hmm. finicky, and I mean just the slightest thing. If you know, once you send it in, if they've got a question, there's a delay, right? It's sending it back to you, and so if you can get it right the first time, of course, absolutely. Why not try to do that, Laura? Let's talk more about that. I mean, the, the importance you think for folks to get this training this volunteer training to help? And how much of a difference do you think uh, it makes when the volunteers get training? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a huge impact. I think people, you know, understanding the immigration system is something that people need to. Um, because I think, if especially if you're a U.S. citizen and have never had to think about what does immigration mean, right? Um, you might think, oh, just fill out this application, <laughs> you pay this fee, and then you're good to go, right? Not, um, so. <laughs> not, not at all. Not quite. <laughs> 
Not um, at all. Yeah. And so that's why this training is important to understand how complex the system can be. Um, you know, if you have something wrong, uh, that can put you in delay. Also, just like understand, right, that a lot of these processes are going to take years. Right? Do we know what the, the current backlog is of asylum cases? So right now uh, for asylum cases, it could be years. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Uh, and they're waiting you know, a very long time. We're, yeah, we're talking about a very long time. Appointments, court dates are set years in advance. Uh, and then they're not necessarily real dates, right? It can change as you get closer to the date. So there's a huge backlog, right? And what we're trying to do is basically train more people, get more um, attorney and legal volunteers as well to build the pipeline, right? Because you're, once you're going to submit it, you're going to have to wait for a long time. You're not going to get an answer or some kind of review, you know, within two weeks, right? You know, I wish that were the case, but it is not. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the volunteers that we are seeing at the trainings, we're talking about, you know, we already have our, over 650 people that registered throughout this month wow. for the trainings. We already trained over 400 of those. Um, and people, you know, just by looking at the questions that they have before and after, you see the impact that it makes. They understand their role to support people, to accompany them, to provide them information, to provide referrals, mm -hmm. right? And also make sure that they're doing it in a responsible manner. Yeah. Is there anything about volunteering that people might not understand? Like any misconceptions? You first, Laura. Um, I mean, I, I think... Um one thing is that you can make an impact with small little things like that, where you might be like, I'm just filling out a paperwork, right? I'm just a volunteer. Right. I've um, heard that before. Yeah. And it's like that can make a huge impact right. in someone's life. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times I think people, I, and I understand it, right? They want to volunteer and they want to be on the ground and they want to be um, with the families. But sometimes the best thing for those families might actually be that help of just filling out that one paperwork. Or, you know, if you're not able to, to volunteer because there's like the language barrier as well, right? Um, you know, sometimes just like um, donating to the organizations doing on the ground work is also very impactful. So I think yeah. there's a lot of different ways to be able to help in this crisis. I mean, one of the biggest ones for me, and I will, you know, sound like a broken record every time I'm here, but it is that change that the federal government needs to do, right? Like that's what's going to really have like an impact. Yes, we can help people when they're here. And yes, we should. But at the end of the day, even if they put in their application for asylum, there is no guarantee that those people are going to be able to be stay in the U.S. in the way that the immigration laws are right now. So we need change from the federal government to be able to actually help those families and have them be able to stay here and build their lives here. Any misconceptions you want to clear up, Adi? And, and here's your moment, a pitch for uh, for new volunteers. Yeah, I think a lot of what uh, Laura, said, Laura said is something that I can definitely relate to. I think the main thing is to remember that you have a huge impact. Also to sometimes, you know, take a step back because you are a volunteer, not necessarily a professional. And that there are many ways to help. Um, I do not speak Spanish. Uh, and I'm right here, you know, doing the work with other organizations mm -hmm. and with our volunteers. So making sure that we expand that and making sure also that, you know, the impact, as Lara said, is not just, you know, being on the ground with the families. It's not always, you know, the most, quote unquote, glamorous volunteering, right? Sometimes the best thing to do is to try and, uh, and make an impact and, um, and lobby your lawmaker. 
your legislator, your elected official in different ways to make sure that there is some sort of legislative ch- change and also that there is enough funding for all the work that needs to happen. Right. Laura, leave us with this. If folks listening to us right now are interested in, in volunteering with the Resurrection Project, what should they do first? Um, I mean, I think we, unfortunately, we don't have any um, volunteer opportunities right now at the Resurrection Project, but you are able to check um, the website for Welcoming Illinois. Okay. Um, and we're going to be posting any updates there. You can also follow the Resurrection Project um, on our Facebook page, um, on our social media. We're also posting whenever there's opportunities there and whenever there's trainings like the one Adi talked about um, that are open to the public, we'll make sure to also post there as well. Laura Mendoza is an immigration organizer with the Resurrection Project, and a D Learner is a program manager with the Resurrection Project. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Dan Tucker. Keep up with everything happening in Chicago and across the country by subscribing to the Reset newsletter. You'll get all the major headlines in your inbox each morning, and you'll hear about interesting things happening across the city. Subscribe now by going to wbez.org slash Reset News. That's all this morning. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.